GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. I'm Kyle Reedhead, and today I'm joined by Rick Manilius. I hope I said that right, but maybe not. How did I do? Perfect. Nailed it. Perfect. And we believe that Web3 is going to change the world, and that's why we are carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3. Today, we've got a great show. Is this a busy week? Is this not so busy of a week in terms of news? And you know what? We thought it's still pretty busy, but at least we have a little bit of a breathing room. We could sit back and think about what's going on in the space. So that's kind of nice. But we're going to talk about Azuki's Elementals. That's probably the biggest thing. Is this a big fail? Was this a $40 million fail for the NFT industry? Let's let's talk about that. We've got some more Bitcoin news. We actually had a Bitcoin ETF launch last week, which kind of came out of nowhere, but it's not the one we were all wanting. It wasn't that spot Bitcoin ETF. So we'll break that down. We've had a record-breaking month for Web3 Gaming. We've got some issues going on once again with the App Store and blockchain, in particular this time Bitcoin, which again was a little bit surprising. And then we've got so much more that we're going to discuss. So it's going to be a great show. But before we do that, you'll notice that Jay, again, is not here. He's taking care of his little baby, Jack. And we have a wonderful new co-host, a guest from the community that came on. He won the, the Twitter competition. Rick, tell us a little bit about yourself and excited to have you on here. Super grateful for the opportunity to be here and uh, share a you know different perspective. So yeah, my name is Rick Manilius. I've been in the startup space for 15 years, co-founded five different companies. I'm currently the CEO of Atomic Form. We build you know gallery quality NFT displays and you know archive obsessed NFT software. So been a fan of crypto for a long time. A very passionate researcher since 2017, and officially as a career since 2021. Awesome, love it. Love to see more. Web3 enthusiasts, more builders, people actually building things in the space. It's amazing. And we had a, a prep yesterday with Rick and, and Rick can cover every topic. You can tell he's been in the space for a while. He knows it all. So I think we're, we're due yeah. for a really, really good show. We know a lot. There's so much to, to, to understand here. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot. So we're going to unpack it for all the listeners today. But before we do, as per usual, we like to start off with a little bit of gratitude. So Rick, what are you grateful for today? I'm just grateful for my two children. Uh, I have a nine-year-old and a two-year-old. They're my joy. And so they're why I do all the things I do. And as we look in the NFT space and everything else, I and mean, I think of like long-term archival and legacy, part of it is not just the legacy of what it is we're building, but also who we're building for. So I always, every morning, you know, give them a hug and a kiss. I'm grateful for my kids. Nice. We love that. Today, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful for the co-host we've had over the last couple of weeks here, filling in for, for Jay, who's also taking yeah. care of his kid. I'm sure he's doing the same thing. And, um, you know, it's great to have just others in the space that that want to step up and want to come in and provide, you know, news and information. And it's also just really nice to pick brains from different people. It's usually Jay and I every single week. I had Andrew Saunders last week have you this week. So it's always nice. I just love talking to different people in the space that know different things and share different ideas and opinions. So I've actually had a lot of fun the last two weeks just exploring with different people. So very grateful to have you in here with me. Thank you again. Super excited and grateful for the opportunity. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, before we get into the big news of the week, we need to just take a quick second to hear from our sponsor. The future of social media is here, and that future lives in Web3 on top of Lens Protocol. Web2 social platforms are broken and ripe for disruption. You see, the epicenter of social media is the creators, and yet they are the most neglected. Web2 platforms like Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram are all essentially robbing creators of their worth. Creators are a new type of entrepreneur, forming new types of businesses. Yet with Web2 platforms, creators don't own their content or their profiles, and that's their product and business. Instead, they are tied to the platforms they choose to create on. Well, just like how crypto is freeing us from banks, Web3 is freeing us from these centralized platforms. On Lens Protocol, creators own their content, own their profile, and even their social graph and followers in the form of NFTs. This allows you to move freely from one social application to another with your content, profile, and followers moving along with you. Lens Protocol enables self-sovereignty for your social graph and interoperability across the internet. At Web3 Academy, we believe this is the future of social, and that's why we've partnered with Lens to ensure that the path of social media is heading in the right direction. Visit lens.xyz to learn more today. All right, we are back and we are starting with the Azuki Elementals. You might have heard about it. If you were on Twitter yesterday, then you probably saw something about it. I'll give you the quick rundown of what went down. And then uh, Rick and I are going to just discuss our thoughts on how this all happened and, and really in more depth of what actually happened. So the yesterday at 9 a.m., well, not yesterday, Tuesday at 9 a.m., Azuki's launched what's called Elementals. 
is a 20K collection of NFTs on Ethereum. And what they've done here, we didn't get to see what the things were that they were dropping. It was sort of like a reveal. You'd get to reveal them immediately after you purchase them. They were going on sale for two ETH each, which is, you know, about $3,750, which I mean, isn't a surprise in the NFT space, but to buy something you don't know what it is for $3,700 is, is actually a little bit crazy. But anyway, they basically, what they did, which is a little bit weird here, is they gave the existing Azuki holders the ability to mint first. And so they had a window for 10 minutes. You had 10 minutes, that's it, to try and mint if you were an Azuki holder. Then what they did is if you were a Beans holder, which is the other NFT collection that Azuki has created, you would have another 10 minutes to mint from that pile if there was any left, and then it would go to the public. And the purpose of this launch was to bring in new people into the Azuki community. That was what they stated anyway was the purpose. Now, things didn't go so well. I mean, it went well for Azuki, I guess. They raised $40 million in about 15 minutes. And actually, I don't want to say raise. They didn't raise. They generated revenue of $40 million mm -hmm. in about 15 minutes because they sold out. Now, what happened though was they basically sold out with in that first 10 minutes, they sold most of them there. So the existing Azuki holders bought almost all of it. And then the beans holders got a few of them. So only some of them actually got anything. And then there was nothing open and available to the public. So that was it. They actually just closed it after that and said, okay, that's it. We're all sold out. So that's all we get, which was a bit interesting. Now, the weird part of this is that when everyone revealed the elementals that they got, they looked identical to the existing Azuki collection. So you can see I have a picture up here and they're basically the exact same. There was a bunch of memes that came out about this of looking at them all and you can't even select which ones. Like if you were to just look at a bunch of pictures, you wouldn't know which one is a normal Azuki, which one is elemental. It's pretty much the exact same art, which is odd because what they've done is there was already 10,000 of these, right? I think they were around 80 was their floor price. And basically what they've done is put on the market 20,000 more. So they've basically diluted their own collection. Now, of course, it's a different smart contract. So they can have different utility and different access or perks or whatever. But in terms of art, and these are meant to be PFPs that eventually will be representative inside of their, their metaverse, ideally is the play anyway, it's a little odd that they made them almost identical. Like you really can't tell the difference. And so it was a shock. And there was a lot of people that went to Twitter and were like, what the heck? I just paid 2 ETH for basically the same thing as I already had. So a bit of a fail there, a bit of a fail in terms of bringing new people into the community because no one else got into it, which is quite odd. And the other thing I didn't really love is they forced everyone to buy within 10 minutes, which I mean, the reason they did it is probably like FOMO gets everyone to buy all at the same time. But we know that this doesn't go well on Ethereum, right? It makes gas prices go high. It means people are paying like upwards of an ETH or two to mint these things, which is crazy, right? Like, why do we need to pay $1,000 per transaction fee? Like, this is 2023. We should be way past that. That's the 2021 days or 2020 days. Why not launch on an L2? Why not give a different time frame so it's not everyone rushing at once? Like, we know that that's not a good playbook. So it was a bit odd for that. And then anyway, I'm going to wrap up with just a couple more things. So what happened was after everyone started complaining, we were like, well, this is really odd. Why did you guys do this whole situation? Why are they the same? And so a few people came on Twitter, bigger accounts too, and suggested that, well, maybe they have a different reveal. Maybe there's something else going on here. And uh, this was just like a joke. And a bunch of people had this theory. Well, it turns out they didn't because the next morning, Izuki tweeted out and said, hey, we're sorry. We made a mistake, which is a bit odd. I mean, I don't really understand how you could make this mistake. And so as a result, the floor price is absolutely tanked, both Azuki's and of Beans, and I believe of the Elementals, but I'm not 100% sure on the Elementals. But I know the Beans went down by like 50%. Azuki's went down about 30%. So they've done a terrible job for their community, I would say that. Bit of a shit show. Rick, what's your take on this? I didn't know if this podcast was swearing friendly, so now I know. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I would say even the comms after, there's a lot of fumbling around and you're like, oh, well, we can change the metadata. Well, holy crap. Now you're even exposing the fact that you could get rugged and change that the art after. And if you were trying to do a $40 million sale, again, this is not a raise sale, right? And you spent this much time in prep and now you're going to rush the art to fix. I mean, it's like, you're going to potentially make this problem worse. You're just, I mean, because now you're showing you don't have a plan. I really wish these communities would really focus on the long game. You know, if you look at people like Jack Butcher or Parallel Alpha, like there's this real deep thinking about what have you built so far and how is this going to play 
key milestone in your five to 10 year time horizon. And I feel like this was all the mechanics around this drop was optimized around the mint. How can we ensure the mint happens fast, FOMO, and we get this two-week floor and it happens. And they did a great job. Like that was masterfully pulled off of. But we need to be thinking about the UX, you know, the before, during, and after, because so many steps could have been done to catch us along the way. Even a preview of the art beforehand, people in the community could have been like, hey, God, I'm an Azuki holder. I own 10 of these things. And it really bothers me that you're actually doing a duplicate as opposed to a new art collection, which I feel proud to sort of add and append it to my existing collection. Now I feel this, this, this thing. And it could have like nipped in the bud, had a much better experience. And I kind of want to like go up to 30,000 feet here. We have to remember that NFTs were the first real mainstream breakout consumer adoption from the Web3 space. It wasn't the DeFi summer. They weren't like liquidity pool mining. You know, these weren't like the DJs. Like this is the first consumer facing app. And if we as a community are going to go from just the early adopters, the OGs to like mainstream, we need to make sure that these, again, mainstream facing releases are done in the way that they just described. Like they're trying to bring more people in here. This in fact is the reverse. Not, and it will have a ripple effect for others. I guess one last thing on this is like, we have seen people in the last two years already solve for these mechanics, like the gas feeds. The Parallel Alpha did this in the first three drops. And they're like, hey, we really got to solve the fact that people are spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in gas fees. So what do they do? They'd split it up. There's a reserve and then there's a payment. They have a 24-hour window and they actually say, don't feel like you need to buy right away. Your cards are there. You already reserved. To make the experience even better, it wasn't just, hey, we're doing this so that way you don't pay extra gas. You'll have this full reveal, like they do this great like 60 second video where you get to see your packs unboxed. So they effectively made a digital unboxing experience and they actually promoted this because then they had people live stream their unboxing. So they'd be a video recording and then see the digital things. They actually made what was otherwise a problem or like, hey, we're kind of doing this workaround. The workaround became part of the experience and they actually made it a positive thing. So I feel like there's different communities that have already solved for these different mechanics. And if you knew you were going to go for a $40 million sale, it really should have taken some extra time, days, weeks, or whatever, to think through the end-to-end process here. I think it's a real myth that this is still happening in 2023. I hope that their comms can figure this out <laughs> because now, let's say they change the art, and now like a year later, they do another release. Well, how do they have to both explain away what they did before and how it still fits to their larger roadmap? It's just, it's all around a fumble. And I know people who are Azuki holders. They're very proud. They, really, they love their art. They love the community. And I think this guy, this was a mar on that. Well, Azuki's been a, you know, quote unquote, blue chip type NFT for a while in this space, right? There's not a lot of them, but Azuki's been kind of a leader. Mm-hmm. Like you said, strong community. People really love it. They've done a lot of kind of innovative things as well. And so I was very surprised that it went this way. But a great tweet, just to go off of what you were just saying, I want to dive further to that sort of like experience of the mid and after the mid. NFT God had a great tweet and he just says, I'll read a little bit of it out here, but he says, is anyone else exhausted by Web3 marketing tactics, hype, anticipation, announcements of announcements, then to buy a product you need to spend thousands of dollars and you don't even know what you're going to get? And he says, imagine this scenario. Apple is about to release the Apple Vision Pro. For months, Tim Cook tweets, oh my God, you have no idea what's coming. I never let the holders down. Let me cook. Wig face and eyes. And then instead of holding a press conference like they normally do and telling you exactly what the product is, how it works, and how it will improve your life, they have a Dutch auction starting at $3,500 and tell you nothing. You put in your credit card and they send you an unmarked box. You open the box and hope whatever it is inside is worth $3,500. And even then, you have to wait months for whatever's in the box to have any functionality or use. And that really sums up what this whole yeah. NFT space is. And to go off what you said, like I get it. There are PFPs and communities. It's a thing. Digital communities is a thing. And so like as much as these PFP things are annoying and the NFTs around them are, are kind of annoying in my view, I think digital communities is a thing. And yes, they might have value worth thousands of dollars depending on the community. That's great. But we still got to remember that we're selling a product, right? Or we're selling a service and we need to make sure it's a good experience all the way through, right? Think about when you buy an Apple product, you go into this beautiful store, right? Or maybe you do it online and it's this nice experience. Or maybe they're, if they're just launching, people have to line up sometimes, but they've tried to find ways around making people line up like outside, outdoors. Like that's not a thing that they want, right? They're not trying to do that. And then you buy the product, you know exactly what you're getting. And then you open it up, you have this amazing, you know, the, the boxes of Apple products is so nice. It's this great experience. And then the product is amazing for years to come. That's upgrades, whatever. And it's, it's really good. That's how you build a product. And I don't know what yeah. people think they're doing here in the NFT space, especially Azuki when you're amazing, you know, when you're making $40 million, but to have just like a, a shit show like this and then to go, oh, sorry, we, we must have screwed up. Like, yeah. 
How do you not see that from the very beginning? That to me is just, it's wild. It doesn't even match the goals. Like if you're trying to bring more people in the community, like, you know, the, the new people outside are people who already have two ETH in their wallet ready to spend, right? There, yeah. There's a much longer tail of people who are crypto curious, right? For example, the how I even got the NFT space, the co-founder of Atomic, I met him on Twitter and he's like, hey, do you have an NFT? I have one of these parallel alpha cards. There's an addition of 50,000. I'd love to give you one. And I was like, oh, I already had an Ethereum wallet, but I never owned an NFT. It always felt scary. I was like, well, let me just drop into your wallet. All of a sudden, I was like, holy crap, I have an NFT. Azuki could have done so many things like that. Like, hey, give a different edition of a smaller unit or whatever, and then just hand them up to friend. Like, there could have been a different way to be an entry point to bring on new users that really was aligned with the goal that they stated, right? But if you're saying 2E plus be ready at the keyboard, plus be ready to fight the bots, only the OG agents are going to be going after those things. We need to yeah. stop building products for those people. That's not going to yeah. move this industry forward. And I guess just to wrap it up to the last thing that Azuki did is in their like apology tweet at the end, they put, which also was really annoying. They had this little gif of a bean, a green bean that was passing. They said, by the way, this hasn't been revealed. Then something like that. It was like a little line. I don't have it pulled up here, but they went back to the curiosity. You don't know what you're getting and, and maybe they're going to launch something else, which is just like, guys, get over it. Yeah, This just doesn't make any sense. So super, super annoying, but is what it is. Azuki's, maybe you guys will figure it out, but right now, not very impressed to say the least. All right, let's move on to the next big piece of news, yeah. which is an ETF, a Bitcoin ETF, which launched last week in the United States. Now it's not the spot Bitcoin ETFs that we've been talking about that I think five or six different companies applied for, but it is a leveraged Bitcoin ETF, which is a little bit weird. I'm surprised that the SEC has approved a leveraged Bitcoin ETF. We they know- did pull Dookie. Yeah. They pulled yeah. Dookie. Instead of giving what consumers have been asking, which is how could I just put my spot in a 401k, not only a futures ETF, they went to a leveraged futures, like they went to the DJ. So it's, it's like the same, it's the same thing, but now for traders. This one caught me off surprise. I'm not going to lie. I had no idea they would do this. I mean, there's politicians literally that are saying, hey, Bitcoin, crypto, and leverage do not go together, right? It's too volatile of an asset. And I mean, leverage is what blew up this industry over the last year and a half. And the SEC's job is to protect investors, yet they have disapproved spot Bitcoin ETF, and now they've approved a leveraged Bitcoin ETF. Very odd. Maybe what this means is, okay, spot Bitcoin ETFs more than likely going to get approved now. Like it would be very odd for them to approve a leveraged one, but not a spot one. So that could be good news, but just very weird timing wise that they have approved this one before they would approve the spot one. Like you said, people just want to buy some Bitcoin and they just want to hold the 401k. Now you're forcing us to do it in a leveraged fashion. Just very, very odd. So a lot of other good news going around in in this, well, interesting news. I don't know if it's necessarily good news yet, but we were talking last week about all the Bitcoin spot ETFs that have came out. By the way, the answer for the, the first sort of like approval or denial for the BlackRock one happens in August. I think it's mid-August. So we will have some sort of decision time happening there, which is quite interesting. And at the same time, though, ARK was actually the one that put a spot Bitcoin ETF application in first, a couple months before, I believe. The difference was that BlackRock had this sort of partnership with Coinbase to custody the assets and this whole sort of situation going on in the back end. I'm not going to explain all the details because to be frank, I don't even understand them. But anyway, ARK didn't have that. And that was the one thing that people said that BlackRock did that they think will kind of make their application more, higher chance of getting approved. So ARK has just also changed theirs around. And now they are partnering with, we don't know yet, but it looks like it's going to be Coinbase to do the same thing. So now the question is, is BlackRock going to allow that? Or are they going to try to like, fight this and make Coinbase be an exclusive partner with them. We're not quite sure. But either way, things are really heating up. It looks like the experts in the ETF world are giving it quite a high chance of approval. I think it's about 70% chance is what Eric Bullock this. I'm not sure his name, but he wrote a book on ETF. So he's, he's pretty well known in this. He's giving about a 70% chance of, of approval, which is, is quite interesting. So coming by mid-August, we should have an answer. And I think there's also a lot going on with some of the court cases with Grayscale which should have some answers come August as well. And so everything's sort of lining up for this mid-August type thing to see what's going to go happen in the US in terms of spot Bitcoin ETF. So interesting times coming up. It's going to be very volatile, I think, but looks like we could have some really good news. And a long time coming though. I mean, if the Winkle Bosses of Gemini filed for an ETF back in 2014, it's up to 10-year. I think a lot of people are worried about who's going to get the ETF, but I think it's more important as an industry that it just happens. Like we have been waiting 
where these financial products were both you know, people in their 401k, their IRA, traders, institutions, all things, a safe way to use crypto, right? So these rails have been wanted for some time. So I'm actually very excited that there's been 10 to 20 applications in the last few weeks off the heels of some pretty hard SEC, like all this FUD, all these, this drama, all these, you know, with Binance and Coinbase, et cetera. So it's actually quite encouraging to see that the markets are both holding and growing and that this thing may actually punch through, you know, a decade later. But man, if it goes through, that'll be a really good fundamental piece, foundational piece for this industry moving forward. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, there's a lot of people who think the SEC is out to kill crypto. And I somewhat believe that, but I also somewhat just think they're trying to clean up the space. And you know what? We need that. I'm not going to lie. We've had a bit of a shit show, right? <laughs> With FTX and many others. Yes, yes. <laughs> so like, do we need a bit of cleanup? Probably. Now, is, are they doing it the right way? Like, I don't know. I don't really understand how regulators and politicians work, blah, blah. So I'm sure there's some stuff behind the scenes. But like, ultimately, we needed things to be cleaned up before we can give these kind of ETFs because this is going to bring the masses. Like, you're going to get a lot of money that comes into the space. We always talk about how we need crypto to be as user-friendly as possible for like yes. my mom, for example, which, hey, my mom could buy Bitcoin with this. She knows how to use her Questrade account and buy an ETF. She's done that many times. And now she can do it with Bitcoin. Now, if she doesn't get to self-custody, okay, not so great, but whatever. You know what I mean? It's a step in the right direction. You can still self-custody if you need to. It's not like that doesn't exist. But this is just a great financial structure to be able to buy this. So I think it's it could be massive for the industry. Yeah. I have several family members. Like, I'd love to. I call my financial advisor. I'd just love to, but I, I can't. I don't feel comfortable. Again, the user experience, I don't feel comfortable doing it this way. I feel very comfortable doing it that way. And if I just had it, I would. It's a, it'll be an unlock for people who had that that just big enough friction barrier. And I'll be like, yes, I can. Yes. And I'll tell you who is buying as a result of this. MicroStrategy, of course, as per user, usual, our boy Michael Saylor, they bought MicroStrategy, bought another 12,000 Bitcoins yesterday, or at least that's when they announced it. And so at this point, they control 152,333 Bitcoin, which is the equivalent of 0.7% of the total supply of Bitcoin. I guess he's a little bit bullish on Bitcoin, isn't he? He is something of a demigod, I think, in the space at this point, in terms of his risk tolerance, I guess, and his, his belief in the system. So I love that you picked this, the stories in this this order, because had we had an ETF, MicroStrategy is basically a pseudo ETF. Like they wouldn't have is, to yeah. through all these, these rigmaroles if the ETF already existed. So this is just a natural result of having to go around the lack of products. And so, but I'm glad someone's doing it. And eventually MicroStrategy may roll into an ETF or something. However, that transition happened, this is like one way to get exposure. And Michael Saylor has been, you know, found a way around it. Absolutely. You know, what's funny is, so I have a chart up on the screen for the listeners. I have a chart up that shows all the buys of MicroStrategy. And every time that they bought, the price is in a different color, depending on the price that they bought. And they actually bought mainly the top right? Or like the mid, like they were buying mainly 40K and up. I mean, they also bought very low back in like yeah. early 2020, which really started the bull market. So they did buy a bunch then, but they stopped buying all throughout 2022 when it was, you know, at its lowest price. So they actually didn't buy the lowest. Now that it's up at 30K, they're buying again. So it's kind of funny that as professional or as good as he is, yeah. as much as they own, they're still not buying oh. the, the lowest points. So they're buying kind of the mid to high points, but I'm sure that was the board and whoever else. Yeah. Like, force him to not buy when it's it's bad times. He had used every bit of coins and cash he found in the couch. Like he, he was all in a Bitcoin. He was like, like waiting for a dip. He was just like, every time he found a dollar, he's going in a Bitcoin. So it makes that, it doesn't surprise me that he had to like get some additional capital before he could uh, do some more buys. Yeah, he's just dollar cost averaging billions of dollars basically, which is insane. Some other good news here. So Hong Kong, we've talked a lot about Hong Kong lately and how they're Becoming more friendly towards crypto. Well, it was announced yesterday or two days ago that HSBC, which is the big bank in, in Hong Kong, now lets customers trade Bitcoin and Ether ETFs. So that's really cool. Previous to this, this was not allowed. Now, this isn't a spot Bitcoin or Ether ETF. This is futures, which already exists in US markets as well. But now we have them on the Hong Kong markets. Now, maybe the spot Bitcoin ETF will be coming to Hong Kong as well in the future. We'll see. But hey, it's a, also trending in the right direction in, in Hong Kong because now, again, people can buy not actual Bitcoin, but they can buy futures of Bitcoin and Ether through their, their trading account. So also some really good news. All right, let's move into, we're going to stay on Bitcoin for a second here, but let's move into less on the, I guess, investment traditional side of things 
and go a little bit deeper. So ordinals has obviously been a really big thing happening on Bitcoin over the last, really all of this year. BRC20s is sort of the term for this, which is kind of fungible tokens that are now available on Bitcoin, which is quite interesting. We've talked a lot about this, but now we have Magic Eden has announced integration where I think Magic Eden already allows you to, is like a marketplace for ordinals. We know Magic Eden on Solana and ETH and Polygon too is like a marketplace for NFTs. But now they are becoming basically like an exchange for BRC20s, which are the equivalent to like ERC20s over on Ethereum. And so you could think of Magic Eden being the open sea over on Bitcoin, right? Because they have the NFT marketplace, but also now kind of like the Uniswap, both all on Bitcoin. So that's very interesting. Rick, I know you have some thoughts about this and you've been reading in more about this. So feel free to uh, yeah, read a little bit further. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just a point of a clarification, there's the ordinals, which is like how they do the entries into the Bitcoin blockchain. And then when you put like an NFT or an image or media, there's, they call it like an inscription, right? And you attach an inscription to an, an ordinal. This has been highly controversial in the Bitcoin space. Some people are sort of taking it on the pro side, which is like, they'll even say, you know, Ethereum is a test network, you know, Bitcoin's like inheriting what, you know, Ethereum would test it out. Of course, that's obviously very inflammatory to the Ethereum community. And then the Bitcoin, the max, the sort of the maximals, OGs, et cetera, the, the hardliners are like, this is intolerable. Our Bitcoin should be cash only, you know, the, the currency, and we should, you know, expunge this from our ecosystem. So Ordinals and Inscriptions has had a controversial, although I think very, very, very effect culturally on Bitcoin. And so let's talk about that cultural change, right? It went from a space that's very hard for developers to like approach. Like if you're not a core developer in Bitcoin, you really can't do much with the core protocol. Whereas in Ethereum, right, you can just go in and you know, set up smart contracts, you know, use testnet. It's just very favorable. Here with Magic Eden now, before Bitcoin and Ethereum products really never had a way to bridge and talk to each other. Like there was this slot. Like it was very much like Bitcoin was going to do its own thing, firewalled off everyone else. And Ethereum and all the other L1s were going to like invent and maybe you know, connect, et cetera. What I love about this is culturally it's changing because now with inscriptions and ordinals, it, it, that part of the Bitcoin ecosystem very much wants to plug into everything else, very much wants to not be a not invented here, wants to connect and so forth. Very much happy to say, okay, yeah, put us in our marketplaces, help start using our stuff. Like we'll provide the data, you put the UI and UX and apps on top of it. So the fact that Magic Eden is seeing this opportunity and say, yes, we will not only bring in Bitcoin NFTs, I use that in quotes because there's some differences between ERC-721s and, and the BRC-721s. But yeah, we will be an exchange for the BRC-20s and we'll start to you know, be the Uniswap of the Bitcoin ERC-20 space. I think that's huge. I love that there's cross-pollination happening and that, again, the culturally, there's new bridging happening between the Bitcoin space and innovation happening. Whether or not this lands and how it evolves, it's a burst of innovation. And I think a lot of people in the Ordinal's uh, inscription space are just excited about it. They're saying Bitcoin is now fun again. Like they saw... All the crypto kitty stuff in Ethereum, like, what are you guys doing over there? And now they're having a blast, but also innovating. And I think that there's going to be some stuff that comes out of this. We don't know what that will look like yet. But again, I'm just excited that other communities now have a bridge point. Rick, do you think that the ordinals and BRC20s and everything that's going on on Bitcoin lately has staying power? I mean, it doesn't have the technological yeah. capabilities like smart contract platforms do. And I mean, Ethereum is not the greatest platform in the world either, though it does have a lot more than the Bitcoin would, but there's other technologies, other blockchains that have even more capabilities. And so the, the yeah. tech has improved in terms of blockchains and its programmability. Bitcoin was the first. So, I mean, hey, it's decentralized, it's sound money, it's great. Yeah. But like in terms of like expressing other things, it's definitely lacking its capabilities. Do you think it still has staying power as a result of that? Yeah, I mean, and I have some of my developers too are, are very like, this is nowhere close or never will be as close to like what Solidity or Cosmosm and all these other programming languages will be able to provide in terms of feature richness, et cetera. And yet it's going to let Bitcoin go to a new level that it couldn't the taproot functionality that unlocked all this. So maybe it doesn't necessarily create the DAP, the smart contract ecosystem that we know and love in Ethereum and other ecosystems. But inscriptions alone could be a very powerful backend, right? It could be a permanent backend storage a very expensive one for what you really want to like put in, say, things that you've used with oracles or state routes or things in Ethereum. If you wanted to have some data availability or some way to put it into a storage place that you know is going to be like bulletproof because there's hundreds of thousands of replicated nodes, et cetera. So I don't know where the ordinals and inscriptions world lands or ends. I do think it'll have staying power in some aspects. They'll probably try 20 to 100 experiments, right? And so, like the NFT ones may just fail and they, or they, the industry they may bail and say, you know what, we just can't push this far along or maybe niche. I don't know. But what I do know is there's going to be some things that come out of this that will have staying power. 
And whether that's a, another permanent backend storage for IPFS as SIDs, like we can put the most valuable or state roots or you know, et cetera. I think there's going to be some things that stay through. I don't right. know what all those will be. So I'm, I'm excited to see the exploration. I don't know which one's going to stay. Yeah. I think for me, it's not going to be the big consumer facing applications, no. I don't think, in use cases. But like you said, niche things make sense. And whether that's niche things in terms of just like art and internet culture, people that love Bitcoin, there is a massive community. They have massive network effects. So like maybe there will be the, I mean, right now it's a lot of just like art the ordinals and just like community-based things, which sure that could be, but that's very niche. The world is not coming on because of that. But you're right. I think small use cases, sure. But if you're building yeah. something like consumer app and you want this to go mainstream, I don't think building on Bitcoin is the place you're to do. You're not going to do game five BRC20s. You're just not yeah. like, you know, you're going to go to Polygon. You're going to go to all these other mutable. So like the major consumer facing, you know, DSO, GameFi, all this stuff. They are not looking at this seriously, but it's early days. We don't know where this will go. And it's going to force infrastructure investment because they're, they're clogging the network. They're forcing the Bitcoin network to stall out and, and get all consumed with this stuff. Just like CryptoKitties in 2017 clogged Ethereum. And people were like, what are these cats doing? Like, this is stupid. Like, why, why are people... And now NFTs, you know, four or five years later, are like, oh, of course, the L2s would not have come along if the network hadn't got completely slammed into crypto kids, right? So, like, I think it's just a natural evolutionary point in Bitcoin. And again, where it goes, I don't know, but I love the fact that the network fees are generating stuff because there's actual usage, right? Actual usage, which I Absolutely. think is, is something that people were, were constantly worried in Bitcoin. Like, fees are low, activities, you know, low. Like, yeah, you're trading dollars, but like, where's the next demand going to come? Well, you unlock the new primitive to explore. And people are exploring it and embracing it. So I'm excited about that. It's always good when you have a technology where people are just exploring, creating, innovating, and having fun with it, right? Because that's when yeah. things from nothing come from nothing, right? And all of a sudden you have something. Whatever that thing is, we don't know, but it's kind of an open playing field. And that's, I absolutely love that. Which, I mean, it's a big reason why I love Web3. All right, let's go on to the next big announcement here. So Robert Leshner, who, for those of you who don't know, weren't around maybe in the earlier DeFi world. He's the founder of, of Compound, which is a DeFi blue chip, let's call it. Been around for a long time. And he's kind of a doer in the space, been in the DeFi world for a long time. He has just launched, and I think maybe it's coming from Compound, I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, a new company called Super State Funds. And their mission is to create regulated financial products that bridge traditional markets and blockchain ecosystems. Why this is good news and what I'm bringing this up for is they are now working with, or at least filing to the SEC to basically what they're doing is a preliminary prospectus for the SEC for the super state short-term government bond fund. So what they're trying to do here is bring offline assets onto the blockchain. Now, in order for that to happen though, we have a lot of, let's say like KYC and different things like that, that just institutions can't get involved in, right? They're not allowed just because of regulation to do certain things that we have on open public blockchains that don't have specific things that they need. And so what he's trying to do is basically build a protocol that will allow institutions to do this, and it will enable us to bring offline assets on-chain, onto blockchains. And so the market for that is absolutely massive. And so what they're starting with is actually bringing government bonds. And so basically what happens is the way that this is sort of working is they're tokenizing the ownership of this bond. And so it's just US treasuries and all the different, and I will go do all the boring stuff here, but they're buying US treasuries and things like that, that people typically would do when they buy a bond. But the ownership of those is expressed via a token. And it's done through this new company called Superstate Funds. So pretty interesting. This would be one of those, like basically an asset or a, a functionality for kind of institutions and the bigger names where they can actually come and use on-chain stuff. So pretty exciting and really cool. And I mean, Robert's just, he's a, a big name in the space. He's done a lot for the space. And so for him to build this company and then also go and be trying to work with the SEC around that, that's super bullish. And I think that's really exciting because again, these are the kind of people we want speaking to the SEC, not people like the team at FTX. So it's, it's a big move for the space and we'll see we'll see where it goes. Anytime we could put an existing products on Web3 Rails, excited. Years from now, we'll look back and this will potentially be one of those moments. Exactly. One more on sort of the boring politics stuff, but as I'm Canadian, I had to shout this one out. Canada's been kind of like flip-flopping on what they're going to do with the crypto world in, in terms of regulation. They were really good for a little while. And they sort of like over the last year, they kind of backtracked a bit. But now it looks like Canadian lawmakers have published a very comprehensive report supporting blockchain technology. And so Coinbase has shouted this out. They're pretty excited about what all they're doing here. But really what I think is happening is Canada is looking to become more of a tech hub. So they actually also just changed a bunch of laws where 
if you're in the tech space, even if you have a job or you don't even have a job, but you want a job in tech, you can now immigrate into Canada and you can stay for, I think it's like a year. They'll give you visas for free. So like they really are trying to attract tech. And I think that's why they're trying to go so friendly here. We've talked a lot about this sort of like political arbitrage of different countries taking advantage of when the US or other big countries push out innovation. And so we see that with the UK, with Hong Kong, with Singapore. It looks like Canada is now trying to do the same thing. And so we'll see if the US gets left behind or if they change their tone as well. Because every country now, basically, other than the US, is becoming friendly in terms of, of crypto. So that is really good news. Rick, what's your guess on what happens with the US regulatory environment in crypto? Is it going to be good, bad? Are we going to be years out? Or what do you think? I think when, when Gensler's term ends, I mean, we obviously have, a, especially the US House, a lot more crypto first, like either single issue candidates and, and people in their policymakers, et cetera. I think the pressure is building. And I love the fact that pressure is actually going to start sometimes externally, internationally. These new grassroots are going to there because I think the US you know, blew a lead, right? And I think there's this concept that we can just keep doing this and the crypto community will deal with it while people are dealing with arbitrage, right? To exit. And as I think more and more of this progress happens elsewhere, it just puts more pressure for us to keep up you know, still be a leader in this space. So I think, Joe, you know, it's short-term bearish, right? You know, we obviously have a little bit of like uncertainty, which has uh, always been hanging over our heads. <laughs> but I think there's there's going to be forcing functions to get to certainty. Yeah. And it's either going to be by people losing their positions, you know, new election cycles, or again, just enough internal or external pressure to kind of like cross these chasms. Because I mean, frankly, when Coinbase has to sue to like, just give us an answer, yes or no. And they're like, they, well, let's yeah. file to delay the answer. It's like, we're drawing to a head on these things. It's just more of a time game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I kind of think if the SEC approves this Bitcoin spot ETF, I mean, I think the, the space is going to grow significantly because also what's probably coming after that is an ETH spot ETF. And from everything that's going on, it seems that Bitcoin, ETH are both the non-securities. So there's no reason that they, if Bitcoin doesn't get approved, ETH should also get approved. If those two things happen in the coming like months, then this space is just going to grow significantly. And then it's like the US, you're just so behind. Because if Bitcoin's now a you know, trillion dollar asset and ETH is whatever, half a trillion or more, how can you, and there's so much innovation, it's like, how can you miss out on that when every other country is doing it? So I, I think if these things get approved, I think regu yeah. regulatory environment in, in the US changes really quick. That's just my guess. One other bit of news, I think a couple of weeks ago, Brian Armstrong and Coinbase like, had some meeting in the EU. And it's not just Bitcoin and Ether. I mean, we, those are the top two, right? The, the big kahunas, right? But then we have to, all these other tokens, what are their frameworks and how do we register these and i think the outcome of those meetings was a very positive like a very clear guidance like you get clarity right the clarity making it easy for people in our space to really you know, comply in a, in a way that they make sense for us that doesn't put it's so onerous that it just stops the projects and i think you know it's bitcoin and ethereum etfs will be a great foundation forcing function again yeah sort of okay now we got to clear the, the path for these other ones like assets three through three thousand yeah. all are they got to get here too and i think right. that's Get the first two in place and then build off that with clarity. I think that's, yeah, that's going to come down the pipe. Absolutely. All right, let's move off the the sort of macro environment, the investment environment. We'll move into the into the Web3 space. And particularly now, we're going to talk about gaming. I mean, we've talked about gaming a lot. We still believe it's going to be one of the big things that onboards you know millions of people into Web3, if not billions. And we always say Immutable is kind of leading the way. Last week, we announced that Gods Unchained was put on the Epic Games store, which is quite exciting because that goes to 200 and. 50 or so million people. Well, just a couple of days ago, it was actually trending on the Epic Games store. So it's, it's it's not only just all the store, but it's actually trending and getting in front of a lot of users. So that's really exciting. And then to follow up with that, Robbie, who's the founder of Immutable, he shared a chart here. So the Polygon and Immutable partnership that happened months ago, since then, they've had just an exponential increase in games coming on board and building in Web3, some launching or getting ready to launch. And in June, they've had their biggest month ever in terms of onboarding games by a long shot. And so you can see it up on the chart here. It's, it's a weekly chart. And so you can see that the last two weeks have just been massive compared to every other week. Both of those are, are in June. So it's a really, really big month. And um, the estimations they're looking at here are, are actually volumes. So these are volumes in terms of NFT use that they expect from these games. And they do a big analysis on this and it's quite large. So look, I know we've always said Web3 game is coming, it's coming, but it really is. And it looks like it's going to be big time. And it seems that everything's kind of coming all at once. We've got the like the ETFs and the macro environment kind of clearing up, seem to be getting regulation across most countries. And then we're having these like 
big games and big things in Web3 that are all sort of coming together. The tech's getting better. Everything seems to be reaching this inflection point. Now, when it hits, I don't know, but it's coming. And it seems to be coming from many different angles. So I think it's pretty exciting to see this. Are you much of a gamer, Rick, or do you um, switch your thoughts here? I'm not much of a gamer, but I used to be a huge gamer. I had to actually stop. It's so addicting. It's actually probably more addicting to me than, you know, but brief. <laughs> but what I love, this feels like the 2018-19 cycle. Like, where's where's the users? Where's the user but that people are just building? All the pieces, all the... You know, infrastructure compound, you know, synthetics, chain like the oracles are coming in, all of these different primitives that boom, we had DeFi summer kickoff, right? Match strike and then boom, users come in. And then yeah. same thing with the NFT space, like, oh, we got through, you know, DeFi summer and then boom, NFTs hit in an explosion, right? I feel like all these primitives on GameFi and DSO and all these things are, are just starting. And now we're starting to see that these things start to take off. Like it's very exciting to see these things come in. And I'm a huge NFT maxi, we are at Atomic Forum. And, you know, we're already at a billion. I mean, we went from like a couple you know, million in, you know, 2017 or 2018, 19 to a billion now. <laughs> and we're on the way to trillion in game items and avatars and you know, all these things are just going to explode the usage to and for non crypto natives, like people who don't even necessarily know it's under the hood, but just know that they have a new unlock. They have the ability to own assets within games and how that ownership happens may be abstracted from them. Yeah. But they get the benefit of the Web3 rails, even if they don't even know what's below the Thing. So I'm really excited about Polygon and Immutable. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, some not so good news. We've been actually having quite the bullish little conversation here outside of, I guess, uh, the Elementals discussion. And I guess this one's technically not Web3 related because this is it's not built on, on blockchain, but something somewhat similar. There's a decentralized Twitter, which is called Damas, I guess. And it's been around for a little while now. And it's on top of Jack Dorsey's platform called Noster, N-O-S-T-R. Uh, it's a decentralized like social platform. But anyway, one of the things that they do is think of this like Twitter, looks and feels like Twitter, but it's decentralized. But one of the things that you have in this is that if you like a person's piece of content, you can tip some Bitcoin. That's it. You just send them some Bitcoin. That's it. There's no paywalled content. It's not buying any digital good or anything. It's just, it's kind of like YouTube where you can send money to some of the creators if you like appreciate what they did. So that's all it is. But what's happened is Domus has gotten these notices from Apple saying that because they don't see Bitcoin as money, and so they're saying that this is actually people purchasing digital goods. I mean, they're not buying anything. They're literally just donating, giving away money. And so Apple's saying this has to be done through in-app purchases, which means that they want to take 30% of these tips. Let's say you tip someone a dollar. Apple wants to take 30 cents from that dollar. And so they're going to be removing. They've given, I think, 14 days for Davos to figure this out. Otherwise, they're going to be removed off the App Store. So Jack Dorsey's been, and Jack Dorsey's the previous, he's the founder of Twitter, no longer obviously there. But so he's been very vocal, trying to shout out Tim Cook on Twitter. Yeah, a little bit of an unfortunate situation. What's your take on this? As someone who has deployed iOS apps in the past and had to fight Apple, I mean, Epic Games founder had to fight Apple. I mean, it's a $1.1 trillion of revenue that goes through the App Store each year. Apple needs to keep their cut, 10 or 30%, depending on, the volume and the, the duration of, of your of your app in there. And they got to protect that ecosystem. I mean, it's just that that is their thing. And crypto is just, it's not compatible with that. Like Apple wants a toll booth, everything that goes through that. And crypto is like, no, we want to decentralize. We want to, you know, micropayments. We want to like route things around this. And for the longest time, people have had to route around this Audible. Like they sell credits now online. So that we, they, the credit is now purchased in the app. So Apple didn't take a cut there. And, you know, Spotify, they link out to PayPal. Like everyone's had to find ways to gamify around the Apple. And so and this is not a crypto specific thing. This is just Apple protecting a major cash cow. And so it's just not going to happen if, as long as Apple, because if Apple lets crypto people do it, then they're going to have to open the floodgates to everyone else. It's going to deteriorate that, that huge 1.1 trillion revenue wall that they're so desperately protecting. And so this has been a fight for, for years. It's not going to go away. They're going to go kicking and screaming. And so I understand that this field is very onerous on the crypto space, but it's not a crypto specific problem. It's anyone that does transactions in iOS facing yeah. this barrier, unfortunately. Agreed. You know what's interesting? You know how you know that Web3 technology is going to be massive? It's when it's literally fighting against everything. It's fighting against regulators. It's fighting against <laughs> banks. It's fighting against big tech. Yeah. Like It's literally up against everything and it's going to win it. I mean, it's the decentralized protocols. It can't not win it. It just can go around it. So it's very interesting to see, but you're right. This isn't necessarily a fight against crypto. Apple's just doing what Apple does and they do this for every industry and they always most likely always will. We'll see. Maybe we can change that. I don't know. What we're going to do here is we're going to go into our NFT of the month that we have next. Then we're going to do our quick hits for a little bit of the news that's going on in the Web3 space. But before we do that, we got to take a quick second to hear from our last sponsor. 
What's up, y'all doers? We're seeing signs on chain of the very early stages of a crypto bull run. There's a big wave coming and we want to make sure you're on it. Now's the time to capitalize on the opportunity. How you ask? By starting to practice consistent dollar cost average buys into strong network-based assets like Ethereum and Bitcoin. However, when buying, please make sure to use a trusted exchange. Our newest sponsor, ByDeFi, is a reliable exchange that offers you a platform to turn your fiat into crypto. They also offer awesome rewards, allowing you to earn up to $2,800 for completing easy tasks like setting up two-factor authentication and verifying your identity. If you're eager to get into the market, get started with ByDeFi now by visiting ByDeFi.com, that's B-Y-D-F-I.com, or clicking the link in the description below. All right, guys, we are back, and this is the NFT of the month. And with the NFT of the month, we had four contestants. Gods Unchained was one of them, Worlds of Women, NFT, Hangry Animals, and Sensorium Galaxies Avatar Collection. I don't know that one, but they were part of it as well. And the winner was Hangry Animals. Hangry Animals actually dominated this one. I think they had more than 80% of the votes. So congrats to Hangry Animals and the community, who was more than likely the ones who a big part of this. But just a quick shout out, Hangry Animals is a NFT project which is looking to create a household name of characters through gaming, animation, stories, rewards. It's kind of like comics, but also gaming. It's kind of a digital experience and they have like characters that they're creating through it. There's I think 11,111 NFTs with different Hangry Animals that are part of this like sort of like movie, comic series, things that they're all creating. So it's really cool, but uh, it's sort of this like alien type technology into the metaverse. So they're doing a lot of cool things over there. So congrats to, to Hangry Animals. Keep innovating, keep building your community. You're the NFT of the month today at Web3 Academy. So congrats. All right, let's move into our quick hits as we wrap up here, Rick. I'm going to set this one off for you. What we're going to do is I'll just say a quick headline. You'll say the next headline back and forth. We'll give a quick 60 seconds on, on what's going on. But this is a new innovation from Matter Labs, and it's introducing the ZK stack. What is that? First of all, this is just fantastic. If you think of like optimism and Arbitrum as like the version one of rollups, ZK technology is like the version two, the rev two. And just like optimism, when they released their OP stack, Coinbase was able to use that to make their other rollup. It's like open source software. When you release these things, you make it easier for other people to like create their own parallel versions or stack on top of you. And so those were unlocks. Those were new seeds. We're, we're you know, two years have passed since that point. We're now at a point now where ZK rollups are coming out, and this is releasing the ability to, to spin up additional ZK uh, rollups, both parallel and on top. It's incredibly exciting. We won't feel this until a couple of years from now, but this will be a moment where we look back and say, holy crap, that release of that software enabled all of these other rollups to happen at scale. Awesome. All right, what's next? All right, so the next update is uh, launching a Web3 firewall for SafeWallet. Yeah, so this is Safe, which is a pretty popular multi-sig wallet. I believe it's built on top of Gnosis chain, but interacts and works with a lot of different chains as well. But basically what they're trying to do here, and we've talked about this a lot, where we need safety precautions for users when they're making transactions. Right now, when you try to read the transaction you're doing, it's so hard to understand what the heck is going on. It's a lot of jumbled letters and words, and you're like, what is this, right? It uses a lot of words that you honestly, even if you're in the space, you're like, I don't know what any of that means. So a lot of times we're signing transactions blindly and there is no one saying, hey, you might not want to do that. That might be a malicious link, et cetera, et cetera. And so what SAFE has done is created what they're calling like a Web3 firewall, where when you go to actually send a transaction, it actually says what's happening here, right? Or when you sign a transaction, sorry. So it might say things like critical issues where there's like the address you are sending the transaction to is blocked by global or organizational lists right? So there can be some OFAC rules and things like that. The contract you are sending the transaction to has had no activity the past 30 days. That way, again, you might not be, this will prevent you from sending to a, you know, the wrong address or potentially a, a scam address, or they might have the deployer of the contract is blocked by global organizational lists, then a host of other different things. Basically, what this is trying to do is be a more user-friendly experience when you're sending a transaction and warn you of what you're actually doing and kind of abstracting away all the technical jargon and just saying like straight up, Here's the situation and trying to prevent things before they happen instead of what up usually happens, you get fished and you know, it's okay, how can we get all my stuff back? And so we need this. We need every wall to be doing some version of this. This is a V1, right? So we'll learn from this and we'll see how can we get more accurate and improve on this. Kudos to them for doing this. They continue to push wallet security forward because before mainstream gets here, we need this stuff. That's for sure. Cause we've had way, way, way too many hacks. Next up, 
Web3 ride sharing. So 100 tokenized Teslas hits Vienna's streets. I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, it's, it's improving the participation in the economy. You know, back in the day, if you have a taxi, you had to buy a medallion. There's only a certain number of them. There's always certain people that could buy them. They're really expensive. You couldn't like fractionalize them. We've now sort of like, you know, make it more approachable for any user with a wallet. And you can buy fractions of a, of a position. So it's like, it's the tokenization of everything. You're not, you don't have to have, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy a medallion. You can spend $10 or buy a fraction of a, of a piece of something and participate in smaller chunks. I think this is awesome. It's one of those things to come. Super cool. I'd buy one for sure. I hope it comes to Canada soon. I already want to buy a Tesla, so <laughs> why not? What's the oh, last one that you got? Oh, the Pudgy Toys. Pudgy Penguin such a great community. Now it's in a new, uh, they got a, 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 an award, so take it away. Yes. So Pudgy Toys has won the Toy Insider's Top Summer Toy of 2023 award. Look, I have no idea if this is like a legit big thing or not. I, I don't really follow the toy space, but I just want to say a shout out to Pudgy Penguins because they're actually building things with real use case. They're doing a lot of, you know, just amazing things, both in Web3, but also outside. They're branching out. And what they're doing is they're bringing Web2 people or normal people into buying things that they just would buy either way. It doesn't matter about blockchain. They're just great toys, obviously good enough to win an award here versus others. And as a result of that, they get to learn about Web3. They get to learn about self-custody. And they get to use it, attract NFTs, even though they're not using those words and they're not bringing them in as a result of that. They're not selling them a $3,500 thing that they don't even know is. <laughs> You're buying a $25 toy, that's it. And uh, as a result, you get to experience things in a digital fashion that are built on top of blockchain. So this is the type of brands we want to see. These are the kind of things we want to see going on in this space. It's providing real world value to people. I absolutely love that. So kudos Pudgy Penguins, we had to get you in here at the very end of the show. So thanks for everything you guys are doing. And friends, that's a wrap. Rick, I just want to say a quick thank you for joining me today. This was amazing. You had a ton of insight and I know that our community is very grateful for you. So thanks so much for joining. How was it? What did you think? It was a pleasure to stand in. Obviously, I just love this space. It's a fire hose coming in. So like if I can process and just share, you know, outward, I just love the opportunity. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be here. Awesome. And if listeners want to learn more about you or they want to follow you along, where can they do that? Twitter.com slash Rick Manelius, M-A-N-E-L-I-U-S. And I'm the CEO of Atomic Forum. So Twitter.com slash Atomic Forum, all one word. Awesome. Rick, thanks so much. We'll make sure to put those links in the show notes as well. So friends, feel free to give him a follow if you want to learn more. And I'm sure you can reach out to him as well. But Rick, again, thank you so much. Everyone else, have another wonderful weekend that's coming up. Let's see what happens next week. There's always something crazy <laughs> on this space. So I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week. And Jay will be back next week. Finally, we'll get to hear how his new life as a dad is. So don't forget to tune into that. It should be a great time. But otherwise, Rick and the Web3 Academy community, thanks so much. And everyone, all the best. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely, and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.